0: Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word this morning, we do so with great expectancy. We need to hear from you. There are so many questions and concerns, there are cares and anxieties and frustrations that fill our souls, and we are in danger of being distracted from that good word that you have given, a life-giving word. A word that is, in fact, as we just read a few moments ago, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Only you can illuminate the way we need to go. So forgive us for seeking to be our own illumination. Forgive us for thinking that our wisdom is sufficient to navigate the path of life. And as we turn our backs on our wisdom and our ways, we look to you. And ask that you would make your way, way plain to us today. Father, would you give us rest in our minds? Some here are so wound up, so stirred up by the pressures and cares of life that it is hard for them to concentrate right now. It's been hard for them to sing. But we pray that by the power and presence of your gracious spirit, you would bring quietness and give them the capacity to focus on Your Word, to receive it as the holy food and nourishment that it is. Some are indifferent to this Word, and hearts that have been anesthetized by worldly entertainment or other pursuits. God, how I ask that You would show Your mercy to them and awaken them from that spiritual slumber, that they may receive the truth as it is, life-giving, energizing. Uh, the, the Word that will change them and make them to be what they ought to be. So we ask that you would do a kind and good work in those hearts. I know there are some who are just discouraged. Life has been hard. Many challenges are before them and around them at this moment. Would you build them up in the faith today? And may they receive your Word as the good gift that it is a word from You, a word of love, a word of strength. And I pray that Your blessing would rest on those dear souls today. And Father, we think of those who cannot be with us because of illness, some like Becky Belial and Jackie Kennington who continue recovery from very difficult seasons of, of physical illness, battles with disease. And it has been a a long and strenuous path for them. Would you please console their hearts today and bring healing into their bodies? Restore them to uh, full service and fellowship with us. We miss them when they are not here with us, and we long to have the full body of Christ present. So would you encourage them on this day? And then we think of those who minister the gospel in this valley, some standing and and preaching and teaching at this very moment, opening your word, and we ask that wherever the word is opened in this great valley that you would bless it for your name's sake and that you would draw people to Jesus as He is lifted up, that they would see in Him a Savior who is mighty in His forgiveness who is full of grace and mercy for those who feel like they may have sinned away their last opportunity. Show them today, Lord Jesus, that You are powerful beyond their imagination, more loving than they could fathom, and able to rescue from every sin and from all difficulty. So, as the Word is opened and preached, and taught, and shared, even in private conversations. Bless it for your namesake. Even as you have promised in Isaiah 55, you are sending your word out today with purpose. So, Lord God, accomplish every holy, wise purpose that you have ordained. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there were some tremendous texts that we just sang and read together, some out of the Word of God, which is His living Word, some put to tunes, hymns, or gospel songs that reflect that truth, and though we would never say they are inspired in the sense that the Word of God is, so many of those lines were pointing us to the value of God's Word, And so today, when we come to Mark 4, we're coming to a passage of Scripture that is emphasizing the value of God's Word and the importance of hearing. Some of us take hearing for granted, unless you have been in a position where you've lost your hearing, or maybe it's been damaged or impaired, it's easy to just assume that you can listen to whatever you want to, or hear a person speak, or turn up the volume on your radio or whatever listening device that you might use when you're out and about or in your own home, but hearing is such a precious gift. And it's a vital part of living in this world. There are a number of clips floating around the internet right now of little babies who hear their mother for the first time. I saw one of those several weeks ago when it was actually coming back, and if I had been a little more technologically savvy, probably would have even shown you one. I know I could have gotten those guys back there to pop over to YouTube or something for just a second. But, I mean, these things are glorious. And there's one that I was watching even earlier this morning of a mom who places hearing aids into her little, I mean, tiny little baby girl. And as her girl, as that little girl, hears her mother speak for the first time, it, the, the joy that comes across her face is just absolutely delightful. You ought to Google this you'll probably find a a handful of selections that you can go to but you know just watching that I thought how precious hearing is how much more precious it is to be able to hear someone like your mom or significant other I mean these are the people who who not only have things to say but they communicate love and we want to communicate back to them and you know God has communicated truth out of a heart of love for you And when he calls you to listen to him, as we're going to see in this passage today, it's not simply because he wants you to know certain facts or truths. It's ultimately because he wants to draw you into a relationship with him where he can actually express that love, where you can reciprocate uh, that love that you are finding in him, where he can show you the way of life, share with you the wisdom that will lead you in a good path. It's all about good purposes that he has designed in a relationship. And I just want to say that by way of introduction today, as we come to Mark 4. Now, in front of you, uh, if you've opened your Bibles to Mark 4, we're actually going to cover the first 20 verses, and, and that's a, a chunk, but I think you'll see uh, that this is a, a, a really important uh, portion of Scripture that we need to go through. And as you can see from the title, The Sower, the Seed, and the Soil, uh, we're going we're gonna to encounter a parable today. And... Although in chapter 3, Mark mentions that Jesus spoke in a parable, we're going to go in a little more depth today, and just to begin to kind of get an introductory feel for parables. Uh, So let's read, though, the first couple of verses together. You follow along, and I'm going to read Mark 4, verse 1, and a part of verse 2. Again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, let's pause right there and and talk about parables. What is a parable? Just to give you a a little working definition, a parable is something, uh, it could be a story, a proverb, or a saying that's placed alongside something else for the purpose of clarification. So you'll often read a word like this as Jesus begins to tell a story, for instance. He might say something like, the kingdom of God is like. And so he's drawing a comparison, something that is placed alongside something else for the purpose of clarification. Jesus uses parables, as we'll see in a moment, to communicate truth. So that's why parables, they're not all stories. Uh, They're not all proverbs. They are a variety of things, and I've put a few of those up there On the screen for you, just so as we move through Mark's gospel, you can see some of these and and just categorize them. The gospels actually record some 60 different parables of Jesus. Most of them are found in Matthew and Luke. We have fewer in Mark, but there are some here. Did you know that the gospel of John records no parables? John's a very different kind of gospel. It's a beautiful book, but this word parable... Uh, can refer to a number of ways, literary ways, that that Jesus in the Gospels is communicating truth to people. So you're familiar with some of those. Uh, maybe you know the story of the Good Samaritan. That's a parable. Uh, Corbin made reference to a parable in his baptismal testimony last week, the treasure in the field. We sang a line of, of one of the songs that touched on that particular parable. Uh, there are others like the prodigal son or the mustard seed or The yeast, uh, things drawn from everyday life that people would be familiar with that help to communicate truth. So as we encounter these parables, uh, just keep that in mind. Jesus is trying to show us spiritual truth by laying that spiritual truth side by side with something taken from everyday life. So let's look more closely at this parable that is given to us. Now let's continue reading in verse 2. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. That is, pay attention to this. Behold, and there's a second term that calls us to sit up and, and listen carefully. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. "'since it had no depth of soil. "'And when the sun rose, it was scorched, "'and since it had no root, it withered away. "'Other seed fell among thorns, "'and the thorns grew up and choked it, "'and it yielded no grain. "'And other seeds fell into good soil "'and produced grain, "'growing up and increasing and yielding "'30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. "'And he said, "'He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so in verse 3, and then again in verse 9, like bookends around this particular parable, Jesus commands us to listen. It looks a little different in the English, but the, but the terminology that we translate as listen is the same root that He is saying here at the end, hear, let him hear. This reminds us that a parable, as Jesus gives it, is an authoritative lesson. Thirteen times in this chapter, we're going to encounter that command or a form of it to listen. We've seen it here in verses 3 and 9. We're going to encounter it in multiple places through this, even this morning. Uh, Thirteen times in Mark 4, eight of which occur in the first 20 verses. It's a reminder to us that the words of Jesus demand our personal and careful attention. He's not actually saying, if you're inclined to listen to my teaching, then please do so. He's not asking you for your permission to share something that you can then. No, he's coming as king saying, what I'm about to tell you is eternally significant. It's personally significant. So we are commanded to pay careful attention. Now, notice as we continue, Jesus is going to explain the purpose of parables, plural. He's going to get to the meaning of this particular one, but there are some interesting things that are taking place. So, again, look at your text, verse 10, let's resume reading. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they, and now he's going to quote Isaiah, that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, there are two purposes of parables that Jesus is indicating here, purposes that we need to pay attention to. One of them is remarkable in its mercy and blessing. The other is sobering. So the first purpose that Jesus refers to in this little portion is that he's actually revealing a secret, a mystery. Now, when the Bible uses the term secret or mystery, it's not like it's saying that you know this, this is stuff that only a select few followers of Jesus would know. No, it's actually making reference to something of, of a spiritual truth that would remain hidden unless God came and said, here's what it means. Paul refers to mysteries uh, in some of his New Testament letters. This particular mystery or secret has to do with the kingdom of God. And it reminds us that the good news of Jesus Christ is never something we should take for granted. It's not simply a matter of, of bringing all of your... IQ numbers to bear upon a text and saying, well, I can figure it out, much the way you tried to figure out math or uh, diagramming English sentences or that foreign language class. It's not simply a matter of brain power. There are things about the gospel that are of such a spiritual nature that unless God illuminates your mind, you won't get it. But God is intent on illuminating our minds, especially when we come and say, Lord, teach me, show me. Now, this brings us to the second purpose, and that is Jesus is actually concealing spiritual truth. I, I don't know of a way actually to soften this, but this is sobering. Now, we should put it in its context, lest we think that God is just arbitrarily saying, you know what? Uh, I like you people, so I'm going to tell you truth, and you people, I don't like you, so I'm not telling you. Uh, God, God's not, he, he's not like a neighborhood bully. Do you ever have one of those neighbor kids who just like picked his own friends and others, didn't matter what you did, where you were, you, if you weren't in his club, you weren't getting in the club. No, and in, in the context, remember where we were last week. Jesus actually confronted the scribes who had intentionally and persistently And arrogantly rejected his truth. And we looked at the the nature of the the unforgivable sin. Where they blasphemed the Holy Spirit by uh, giving credit for the miracles that Jesus was doing to Satan himself. And because this had been going on for quite a, a bit of time. And because they were also seeking to lead other people astray. Jesus Christ confronts them head on and says this is an unpardonable sin. Because you are assigning divine work to the devil because you are rejecting clear evidence of divine power at work among you and, and attributing that to darkness. So in the context, he's actually dealing with people who've had access to the truth, they've studied it for themselves, they're seeing and hearing his earthly ministry, listening to some of his messages, and to this point have said, no, 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 no. And, it, and now Jesus changes his tactic. This is what's sobering. Because you see an example of people who refused and refused and refused. And so now Jesus actually veils the truth and makes it more difficult for them to understand it. So the parables for those who have been hardening their hearts against truth actually serve to conceal that truth. I hope that doesn't characterize any of you. And it may be possible that you have had access to the truth maybe for a number of years and even at this point you've said, no, don't believe it. It seems a little outrageous. Or you kind of pride yourself in, in your scientific approach to life and unless you see hard evidence. But, but the reality is the Word of God is evidence. The testimony of other Followers of Jesus around you is evidence. Be careful how you hear. So that's the big purpose of parables, if we just kind of break it into two categories. Now, let's go on to the meaning of this particular parable. Look at verse 13. So the the 12 are with him, and if you pick this up in verse 10, those around him, so it's it's a larger group, but it is a private setting. We have no idea how many people were here. Those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, it says. Now verse 13, he says to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And now he begins to explain it. The sower sows the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now when Jesus begins to explain it, he tells us several things. First of all, he doesn't say I'm the sower, but it's self-evident. He has been preaching the gospel. He He is the one who has given the message of the kingdom calling people to repent and believe. Clearly, He is the sower, or some might even say, well, could God be considered the sower? And I would concede that, and we'll see in some of the other parables, this is clearly a work of God giving truth to people like us. Well, that brings us to the second part. The seed is the Word. It's the Word of God. And then thirdly, you have this, the soil, the different kinds of, of ground, and there is a little bit of shift, I'll acknowledge this too, because some of you say it almost seems like he, he, he shifts the seed metaphor from the word to the people, like they are the ones who are sown. And, and I'll, I'll concede that, it, it looks like that. But I do want you to notice he does talk about the different kinds of ground where the seed lands and the, the effect or the response of that. Do you not understand the parable? Well, I'm glad that Jesus began to explain this. And what I'd like to do is look a little closer at the the four different groups, four different responses, if you will. The hearers represented by, first of all, what I would describe as a superficial hearing. Look at verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, see, there's there's our key idea. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This also is sobering to me, if not a little frightening. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I don't know all the ways in which he does this, but I am sure that even now the devil would desire to steal away the seed of God's word as I'm sharing it. I'm a messenger right now. I know that Satan would love to steal away the word as we were singing some of of it earlier. I know that he would like to keep some of you blinded to the realities and glories and beauties of Jesus Christ. How he operates, I cannot tell you specifically, but I am sure from multiple texts throughout the Scriptures that he operates in a way that he does not want the seed to take root in your heart. And so you could hear my physical voice, and yet because you have not opened your heart or submitted your soul and said, God, I need to hear from you right now, that that would be a way uh, that a superficial hearing is all that is taking place. Sobering to think that there is a supernatural blinding or snatching away of this word, Look at verse 16. There's a shallow hearing. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves. There's the idea of shallowness. But endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between somebody who's responding in this particular way and somebody who truly gets it and will persevere to the end. But the telling, uh, the, the telltale sign, if you will, of a shallow hearing comes when pressure is brought to bear upon this individual on account of the Word, as Jesus says. Say, what, what do you mean by that? What does Jesus mean by this? Well, if you think with me for a moment about how our culture currently reacts against the truth of Jesus, the absolute nature of the gospel claim, even against some of the teaching that has been characteristic of followers of of the God of the Bible for thousands of years. And it stirs up not just a difference of opinion, but it stirs up animosity and hatred and accusation so that if you are known in your community uh, whether it be here or abroad, uh, sometimes even with family members, and, and, and you are known as someone who actually takes God's word at face value and believes it, you might actually be accused of ignorance. Are you really one of those creationists? Or you might be accused of bigotry and hate speech. Are you telling me that I'm in sin because I choose a, a different way to express my sexuality? or because I identify in a different gender than what my biological uh, gender assignment really is, I mean, that, that's all turned against you as a follower of Jesus. And our point is not to be arrogant or bigoted with this, but simply to submit ourselves to the Word of God, to acknowledge that He is a good and wise Creator, And from the beginning of time, His designs were good and right and perfect and intended to lead us as His image bearers to a place of blessing. And it may be because you don't want to be considered ignorant or old-fashioned or bigoted or hateful that at that moment, you would choose the approval of the world At the expense of God's truth. Well, that would be an example of there's initial joy, but because there's no root system underneath you, your faith withers and is unfruitful. I'll just touch on this because I don't believe a person can actually lose salvation. I don't think the Scripture teaches that anywhere. But saying that, I do believe that the Scriptures teach us, and this is one of those places where it starts putting us on this trajectory, that true faith perseveres. And so it would be possible for a period of time for you to say, oh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and yet if your life is not actually rooted in, In his word, and you are actively persevering in the faith, you could actually abandon him, abandon that profession of faith, and demonstrate that you, like this particular seed that took root in rocky soil, never had the kind of life giving salvation relationship with Jesus that perseveres to the end. And Jesus carries this back to be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. That brings us to the third scenario, verse 18. Oh, too far. A suffocated hearing. Verse 18 says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, let's look at those three different things that Jesus put forward. First of all, the cares of this world. The the term care has has reference to anxieties, stresses, pressures. And on the surface, it doesn't look like out-and-out rebellion. Like I hear the word, and then I say, no, I reject all of that. Rather, it's okay. I'm hearing that, but you know what's really important to me today? How are we going to survive this little financial crisis that we're in as a family at the moment? And and what do I have to do to to get us out of this jam? And what, what's going to happen to my job this week? And how about the kids? And you know, where are they going? And how are we going to you know pay for college when that rolls around? And you have cares, anxieties. It's the terminology that Jesus uses in another passage of Matthew's gospel, and he tells us that we ought not to be anxious people. And In that particular passage in Matthew 6, he tells us that we need to make the kingdom our first priority. He says, I'll add the other stuff to you. He doesn't want you to be full of care or anxiety about what you're going to eat or, or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live. He's got it covered as you follow Him, but these people are are so overwhelmed with those things that they, they can't hear God's Word. Second category that he puts forward, deceitfulness of riches, and the word deceitfulness speaks of a delusion. It looks attractive. It looks like it would give you some kind of experience that would satisfy your soul. It looks like it would provide some kind of, of security. If you could have enough money in the bank account or get that house paid for, or get the vehicle of your choice or the attire, all those material possessions, the delusion of riches. Riches make a terrible God. Whatever financial or material means God gives you, those are just tools. They're not the end in and of themselves. But you know what? We fight that every day, don't we? We live in a a culture that just has wired us up to believe life is not full or complete without whatever they're advertising. And it started early on. For some of us, it started Saturday mornings with a bowl of cereal and cartoons on, didn't it? We're just eating away and we're being programmed. Your life would be better if you had this little toy. And if you don't come to the place where you can hear the word of God and realize that your life does not consist in the abundance of things, that as you're in right relationship with him, you can be content with whatever state of life or job or family or community you're in. Because you're right, rightly related to the Creator. Creator. So the number in my bank account its inconsequential in light of eternity. But the delusion that our world continues to put forward is if you can get enough money, life will be good. Get enough stuff around you, life will be good. And it never works out, does it? Because about the time you reach whatever goal you had, You look across the fence, and your neighbor just got a newer, shinier one. And you're like, well, that kind of makes me mad. That stinks. And for a little while, you try to be content and not covetous, but, you know, if you're living for stuff, you're following a delusion. And that actually suffocates the living word. Then the third thing Jesus says, desires For other things, I realize I'm falling behind. Strong desires, longing, lust for things. Now, I put this up on the screen because I want you to think of these three things that Jesus has just said, and and I wonder if if we were to put your social media on the screen right now, what would it actually reveal about the value, the things that you value, values of your life? If we were to read the things that you've posted, if some of you old-fashioned ones like me uh, who still have a Facebook account that you're active with, <laughs> would, it, would it be evidence that you're, you're following hard after Jesus? Or would it actually point more toward that you're taken up with maybe the delusions of riches or just other things? Things other than Christ. Things other than his word, and I don't want to be hypercritical here because some of you are going to be paralyzed by fear. And like, has Danny been looking at my Facebook page? Um, <laughs> I probably have, but I say this sincerely. I, I'm not like I'm not going after any individual who's here right now. I'm just this is broad observation. Instagram, Twitter, who are you following? And what kind of following are you hoping to get? It could be evidence that, that you're in danger of losing the eternally valuable Word of God as your life is suffocated with these very things. That doesn't mean that all of your social media you know, just needs to be Bible verse after Bible verse or, you know, or quoting your preacher. Um <laughs> But is your life, are you living your life in such a way that people know there's a follower of Jesus? There's someone who just sees him for who he is and loves his word for what it is. And yeah, there's a lot of other stuff going on. God in his kindness adds material possessions, but you can just tell. They're not about stuff. They're not about other things. They're about Jesus. Jesus says these things choke the word. They suffocate it. And you know, if your time in the word week by week is, is really more of an afterthought than an intentional, I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna meditate on it, try to memorize a little bit of it, I'm gonna be there on Sunday with my Bible, maybe even a little notepad ready to go or um, following along, whatever. I mean, you're, if, if your life is so wired up to to pursue Jesus, you're going to be blessed in ways that you can't even imagine. But if, if it's just an afterthought, don't be surprised when you reach those points where you feel like, I just don't even know kind of where I am or what's going on and where's God in all this. Could it be that these thorns are choking all of that off? Now let's go to verse 20. Because we've seen a superficial hearing, a shallow hearing, a suffocated hearing, but now there's a fruitful hearing. Some of you say, hey, wait a minute, that's not a fourth S word, right? I I couldn't find one that I felt like was true to the text. A fruitful hearing. Listen to what Jesus says. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. There's a little shift even in the way Jesus is talking at this point, and I don't want to get too grammatical, but th- this is worth noting. Everything else that he said has been, has been a little different verb tense, but now he uses a verb tense that, that speaks as if it is happening now and it's ongoing. So it's not like a one time, you do it and then you move on to other stuff. No, but these people are continually hearing, continually accepting continually bearing fruit. And that idea of hearing is that they're hearing with willingness. And the idea of accepting is they, they receive it personally. They take it in and say, this is for me. And then the bearing fruit, you know, if you think about it, bearing fruit is not something that you say, okay, you know, today I'm going to go bear fruit, and then you go, you know, lay out a plan, a six-step plan for bearing fruit today. No, bearing fruit is actually God's work in you as a result of taking in the word, submitting yourself to it, saying, I'm going to practice the kind of things that he tells me to practice. I'm going I'm to so obey the commands, and I'm going to make sure I don't disobey. That is, I'm going to not do the stuff that he says, don't do that. So your obedience matters, but fruit bearing is ultimately what He does in you. In the same way that the the ground receives the seed, the power for a harvest actually lies in that seed, and it is quite miraculous, isn't it? We're all eager for spring, and some of you, when, when the soil warms up enough and, it, and you know, the snow, danger of snow and frost and all that won't threaten it, you're going to have stuff in the ground because you know that you can plant a little seed, and within sometimes a matter of just a few weeks, or maybe other things take a little bit longer than that, but you're going to have not just one piece of fruit from that one seed, but you're going to have vines that are hanging with fruit or vegetables, or maybe you're going to plant flower seeds and just scatter them out, and there are going to be multiple blooms. It's a really awesome thing, this law of harvest. And God puts it forward here to say that when you hear and when you accept, you will bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, some 100-fold. That's God's part of it. So discipleship, as one author writes, is not what we can make of ourselves, but allowing both the sower, God himself, and the seed, the word, to produce a harvest of which we alone are incapable. God can do great stuff with you beyond what you can imagine. And some of you have big imaginations. Let me give you an example. Book of Colossians. Paul's writing and I want you to pay attention. I've highlighted a couple of words here, but just look at this passage of Scripture for a second and notice this law of, of sowing and reaping, if you will, or bearing fruit, more specifically. And Paul's writing to believers, first century saints at a town called Colossae, and he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, does that ring a bell? Uh, In Christ Jesus and of the love That you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of the truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. You see those concepts of hearing and understanding and receiving and bearing fruit. This is actually some of the outworking of what Jesus was saying to his disciples there uh, in that setting uh, on Galilee coming to pass. This is the next generation of believers. So when God says, be careful how you hear, listen to my word, be someone who receives it personally, know that as you do, I'm going to bear fruit through you and he's been doing it ever since. One author writes, the parable represents the historical inbreaking of God's kingdom in Jesus, the sower of the gospel. And the astounding harvest in this passage is an important clue that the growth is not owing to human activity, but to God's providential power. God is at work, hidden and unobserved sometimes, He's at work in Jesus and the gospel to produce a yield wholly disproportionate to human prospects and merit. Despite resistance and rejection, there is an irrepressible empowerment behind the work of Jesus as momentous as the generative agency of the seed that grows and produces and multiplies. And then this word of encouragement, even for our generation, because we often feel like there's opposition to what we're trying to do, let not hearers... Suppose the opposition of scribes, or Pharisees, or crowds, or even His, speaking of Jesus, His own associates, as adversarial as the hard pan rocks and thorns of Galilee, let not us think they will be the last word. God will have the last word. Now, this does a couple of things for us, and with this we'll we'll conclude First of all, the authority of Jesus' word compels us to hear, to accept, and bear fruit. That's obvious. That's what he said straight up in the text. But a a couple of questions for you to think of. First of all, do you need to repent of unbelief? Is there any part of the word of God that has been spoken to you, whether through your private reading or maybe it was a sermon that you heard preached, and in your soul you know that it was true, but also in your soul you say, I don't want to accept it. Maybe it's because you know there's responsibility coming out of that, that you say, I don't want, I just don't want to do it. But something that God spoke into your soul through his word, ultimately, that, that to this point you've said, nope. Oh, my friend, be careful how you hear. Now, if you're saying, I can't think of anything that I've actually just rebelled against that I would need to repent of, great. Here's a question, though, a second question that's important for all this. Do you need to forsake the deceitfulness of riches or desires for other things? Because some of you would say, you know what, I actually believe that Jesus is everything that he declared himself to be, and I have no problem with the the word of God being authoritative from him, but man, I love my stuff. Ooh, you're in danger of being suffocated. So maybe that you need to repent, not of rejecting God's word, but of being too in love with other things. And it might be good to go on kind of a spiritual fast. Maybe you say, I'm just gonna give that stuff up for a time. And maybe you need to actually put some of it on Facebook Marketplace or KSL and sell it. Get rid of it. Because it's gonna suffocate your spiritual life. Anything that you can think of that you would say. Yep, suffocating me, forsake it. Third question What are the ways that you are actively seeking to hear God's word? The fact that you're here today is great. That says you have some desire. May not be huge, may not even be fully pure before God, but you're here. That's a great thing. But you know what? This is not the only time or place in the course of a week for you to hear the word of God. Do you have a plan to open the word and read the Bible? You say, no, I I don't. Could somebody help me? Yes, I'd be glad to. I I can give you an app for your phone. I can show you some resources that are available online for free. I can also show you some stuff that you can buy and purchase that will help you hear God's word. All kinds of strategies, but what's yours? What's your plan for hearing the word of God? Now, here's a second big point. Not only does the authority of Jesus' word compel us to hear, accept, and bear fruit, but here, this this is beautiful to me, and we'll have opportunity in the parables that are just ahead of us to develop this even more. The effectiveness of Jesus' word makes us hopeful as we share it. I know for some of you, the thought of actually sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with another person is terrifying, and some of that fear is rooted in the fact that you just feel inadequate you're like, I'm not even sure where to start, what I would say. And then, even if I said the right stuff, what if they ask me really hard questions? What if they're hostile to me? What if they're in that category that thinks that you know, all Christians are bigots and, and just ignoramuses? Yeah, what if? But you know what you need to focus on? That gospel is like is the seed that Jesus was talking about, and there's power in it. And you know what Jesus asks you to do? It's to, is, is to take that seed. And it's like he's given you a bag full of seed. And you just, you just scatter it everywhere you go. Just like Jesus was doing. He's just tossing it out all the time. Tossing it out all the time. Tossing it out. Some of it falls on rocky soil. Some of it Satan snatches away. Some of it uh, you know, is, falls among the thorns but some of it's going to fall on soil that God himself prepared, and what you're going to have the joy of seeing is that just a little word, and you didn't even like preach these great sermons, and and the guy didn't even seem to be like really engaged with you, but he comes back later, and he's like, you know what, I've been thinking about what you said. That's absolutely right, and you know what I did last night? I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins and save me, and you'll be like, awesome. Yeah, because the power's in the seed, and we, like Jesus, are just sowers, so just keep scattering. Just keep scattering. The effectiveness of Jesus' word makes us hopeful. We're seeing some neat stuff right here at Gospel Hope. Other churches are seeing some neat stuff in this valley. Th- does that give us any glory? No way. All the glory goes to God. All the honor goes to Jesus. Because all the power is in the word. So we pray, Lord, as I scatter seed this week, cause your word to bear fruit. It's as simple as that. Some of you say, I haven't been saved long enough where I feel like I know enough to say, just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Just start right there. And we'll get you to a place, We can, again, we can give you some material and, and ways to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but the I think the most Powerful kind of evangelism is what you share out of your own experience with Jesus, where you say, Can I tell you what he has done for me and is doing? So we scatter seed.